time doesn't heal loss of a child, but I think the going down the depression road, it's a choice. I strongly believe in choosing what, what God says and believes. Hey everybody, welcome to Unbeatable. My name is Jeff Struker, and in this podcast, we introduce you to people that have gone through incredible circumstances. Life has really knocked them down, and when they got knocked down and skinned up a little bit, they got back up and they attacked life. I can't wait to introduce you to my guest today. His name is Billy Buck, and Billy and his family have gone through what I believe is probably the greatest difficulty that anybody, any family will ever go through. You're going to hear from a parent about how he handled the loss of a child today. And what I believe you're going to learn from this episode is how you can go through it and keep yourself and your family together too. Can't wait to introduce you to my friend, Billy Buck. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. Billy, thank you so much for being part of this episode with me today. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, um, we'll talk a little bit about the family business because you father or you followed in your father's footsteps. Um, He started a practice in Birmingham many years ago. Is this right? Yeah, he started in 1957, and I joined him. I got I started lose track. Um, 92, and um, and I'm a second generation oral surgeon. And interestingly enough, my youngest son Andy is a third generation who's in the oral surgery residency right now in Buffalo, New York. Yeah. Hey, I'm just going to tell everybody around the country, if you need oral surgery, buy a plane ticket, fly to Birmingham. He's the best oral surgeon I know. <laughs> We've gotten so on the Lord heels. So. That's right. Yeah. Um, Billy, we're going to talk about a couple of things over the, the next uh, few minutes together. Specifically, we're, we're going to dig into um, one of the probably the most tragic moment any human being will ever go through. We're going to talk about the loss of your first child in just a little bit. Um, but I want people to get to know you a little bit better. So you are an avid water skier. Is this correct? That's right. That's yes. one of my addictions, but it's a good addiction to have. Yeah. Tell everybody a little bit about how you, you know, how much time and experience you've spent on skis on the lake. Well, I, I was a, what we call a lake skier in early years. And after high school, I played high school sports and I needed another sport. And I look out on the lake and there's some guys going over the ski jump and running the slalom course. And I don't need to try that. And, um, so I got into skiing pretty heavily and never quit. But when kids came along, um, we never pushed them into it. It was just our family event. And all my kids were, were skiing when they were very young and they competed on regional and national level. So it, it's, it's still, I still at 64, I'm still skiing four days a week. Yeah. And guys, I hope that you just heard what he said. He's 64 years old, still skiing four days a week. But if there's a family anywhere out there that is better on water skis than the Buck family, I don't know who they are. I really don't. Um, I've had a chance to just see this family, how much they love the water, how talented they are on um, skis and 
man, you, you guys impressed me every time I'm around you out at the lake. No, there's always somebody better. Just doing the best we can. <laughs> of course. So um, I do a little segment. We talked about it right before this episode began, Billy. It's called this high five segment. It's kind of like me giving a virtual high five to you, you giving a virtual high five to me. Um, and it's our way of just trying to lighten up the or the atmosphere a little bit before we get into some really tough stuff. So I wanted to talk about water skiing um, in this high five segment for this episode because you are you and your family are as good as anyone I've ever seen on water skis, literally. Um, but I, I got this, um, did, did a little research getting ready for today's episode, and I wanted to talk about the top five redneck moments on <laughs> water skis. So I want, uh, Billy, I want to give you a chance to talk about it in just a second, but I'm going to give first my top five redneck moments. You would only see this in the Southeast United States when guys are on water skis. So I'm going to give my top five redneck moments. And then why don't you just tell everybody the five funniest things that you may have ever seen um, somebody else do, or maybe you did it yourself on water skis. You ready? Ready. All right. I'm going to go first. So my top five, my high five redneck moments on water skis is watching a guy try to ski behind his buddy who's on a four-wheeler because, you know, in Georgia and Alabama, everybody has four-wheelers and they're trying to figure out a way to do anything and everything on a four-wheeler. So skiing behind a four-wheeler on the side of the banks of the river has got to be a classic redneck moment. That's number five. Number four on my list is watching somebody body ski behind a boat. But of course, they aren't body skiing on purpose. They're body skiing because they lost their skis and just didn't want to go down. So they just kept bouncing across the top of the waves, body surf or body skiing or body surfing behind the boat. Number three on my list is trying to seeing a redneck trying to drink a beer while he's holding on to the rope and skiing at the same time. And only down in these parts would you see something like that on water skis. Of course, rednecks love to love their dogs, and uh, you, you wouldn't be uh, a, a true redneck if you didn't try to get on a pair of water skis and have your favorite bird dog on those water skis with you, which is a disaster from the very start, but that's a classic redneck <laughs> moment. And number one on the list, and by the way, this one is me, is when a guy is on water skis and refuses to quit. So when he goes down, he just keeps holding on to the rope and hoping that he will one uh, somehow miraculously make it up to the top of the water and back onto skis again. Refuses to let go of the rope. That's a classic redneck moment on water skis. Billy, what about you? You've seen some funny stuff on skis before, so tell me some of the funny things that you've seen folks do on water skis, maybe at well, your lake. All of those top five, except drinking the beer, are pretty routine in the South. Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty common. Um, the dragging behind the boat, um, we would we used to trick ski, and sometimes we'd trick ski together just clowning around, but when we would fall, we would hang on to the rope on purpose. And we'd tell the boat, let's go. And we'd come dragging behind the boat and we'd ski over on our elbows yeah. and jump on each other's back. And that was just a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, but I also tell you about my son, Billy. Um, we never pushed the kids to ski, but he was skiing at four years old. 
I'd hold the skis and he'd go out and, and ski all over the lake. At five, he said, Dad, I want to learn slalom. I'm like, you're five, buddy. You know, <laughs> we didn't really work with him. But at six, he said, look, I want to slalom. So I put him on my ski, and which was huge for a six-year-old. And he got up and he was running a slalom course on my ski at age six after a month of learning how to ski. That's just phenomenal. And, um, but I said, well, we got to start going to tournaments again. And so we started skiing these tournaments. But uh, another funny thing about him when he was learning to go over the ski jump, um, he was this go for it kid. And he went over the jump and he goes out the back, lands upside down, and we run back, pick him up, breath's knocked out of him, and he's trying to get his breath. And the first thing he says is, Can I go again? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, buddy, let's <laughs> let's find your skis first, you know. So that's probably the top thing. So that's a classic unbeatable <laughs> attitude. When you get the, the wind knocked out of you and you just crash hard after going over a jump, your first thought is, let's go do that again. All right, Billy, let's talk about your son, because um, your oldest son, Billy, he was a pretty accomplished water skier. If I remember right, I mean, he was he was really, really talented by the time that he um, was starting to get into his teenage years. Is this right? Right. He skied in his first um, Southern Regional Championships, and the, the, the Southern Region is usually the best most competitive skiers because you have all the Florida mm-hmm. skiers. They they ski year round and um they're very good. But um we kind of quit for the winter when it's thirty degrees, <laughs> you know, but they just yeah. keep on. But he he tied for fifth in his first regionals, which he was um seven or eight years old. Wow. And um and he was just this little stud skier. So my all my kids, the other two kids, Andy and then Riley, Riley was a little older. She, Mm -hmm. she, um, she meddled in her very first regionals at age 11. And, um, and then Andy did too. He, he um, was on the medal stand, his first regionals. And so they've all been ranked in the top five in the Southeast. And Andy has even been ranked in the top five in the nation and jumping before. Wow. Yeah, they have it in their DNA, um, it sounds like. Um, So I I kind of alluded to this for the audience just a moment ago. You and your wife, Kelly, went through, I believe, is probably the most difficult thing any human being on earth will ever have to go through. You went through losing your child. You went through losing your oldest son, Billy. Would you just talk uh, briefly and describe for everybody the night that, uh, you found out that your son was gone. Yeah, we, um, I'll get emotional. I love to talk about it, but I will get emotional and I, that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. we found him in the morning and, um, we thought he was in bed and he, I don't want to tell specifically how he died. It's just too tough, but, and there was just nothing we can do. And, um, and it was, it's like this, this cannot be real. You know, it, it just, I just couldn't believe it and, um, and just didn't even know what to do. And interestingly enough, I, I, when I was in high school, I lost a classmate. She was killed in a car wreck and I'll never forget what her 
dad said, her dad said, one home safe. Mm -hmm. And so when we found out that there was nothing we could do, that Billy was gone, that had to be of the Lord. He gave me those words. That's the first thing out of my Mm -hmm. mouth, one home safe. And um, it's not that everything was easy. It was rough. But um, I think that was just of the Lord. It's not like you sit around and think, well, I'm going to say that if that ever happens. It was just out of the blue. But um, going going through the first few days, it's um, it's just surreal. Um, you can't believe it happens. You know, you go to bed that first night after everybody leaves your house. Who's there? And you think maybe we'll wake up and it'll be a bad dream, but it it's not. And um, you just gotta you just gotta face it. Yeah. And um, I know Andy did. I can't remember Riley did, but Andy slept on our floor in our bedroom for two years. Mm. Andy was 11 years old. And, um, but we just, how we dealt with it as a family, we just gathered around and, and hugged each other and held on to each other. And, and, um, there were some, a couple other really cool things that did happen around that time. Um, you know, I had to had to write an obituary for my mm-hmm. 14-year-old son. And I'm um, like, what am I going to say, you know? And it's like, it's back when we were still getting newspapers. And so we I scratched out an obituary, said, Lord, give me the words. Mm-hmm. And, and we just, Billy had invited Christ in his life as a, a kid. And he was walking with the Lord as we were and doing the best we can. Not that we're the greatest Christians in the world. We're just colliding in that direction. And so there's peace in that, knowing that we will see my boy again. And so I put that in the newspaper, in the obituary. And I said, this is why we have peace through that. And I challenged people in the obituary, do you have that same peace? And I said, um, you can you can have it like we do by simple prayer and asking Jesus into your heart right now. And I put a prayer in the paper. And interestingly enough, I heard later that uh, a colleague, a dental colleague that we knew his wife was a believer. This dentist was not. And she'd been praying for him for years. He told me later by reading that obituary, he came to Christ by reading wow. the paper. I thought that was really yeah. cool. And mm-hmm. and then also we're, we were in public schools and um, it's kind of a little small community middle school we went to. And and so the whole school just put their arms around mm-hmm. us. They, they had a, a football game. They retired my son's jersey. It's still hanging on the wall wow. of the school. Um, they, (laughs) they have, um, character assemblies, just, uh, motivational assemblies. Well, right after losing Billy, they had it on Billy and, um, Kelly and I didn't think we could speak at all. So my brother-in-law spoke and the school told us we can do anything you want to, except have a prayer in front of the assembly in the public school. So we also printed up these brochures, a little bit about Billy, why we have peace in spite of losing him and prayer. And 
they had the assembly and we we moved on but years later we got a letter from uh, <laughs> a family who had moved away not long after losing Billy. Mm-hmm. They, they moved to Florida someplace and the daughter had been killed in a car wreck and the mother wrote us that she read in this girl's diary that she had become a Christian by during that assembly uh, uh, for my son in the public school. And I, I just think that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's really great. Yeah. For the audience, Billy and I have known each other for a long time. I'll never forget Billy. There was a moment where you and I were driving around the suburbs of Birmingham and you, you made that comment to me about your first words after losing your son was one home safe. The ultimate um, destination for all Christians is to spend an eternity with God in heaven. And your son went there a lot sooner than you anticipated. But I remember in that same phone or that same conversation driving around Birmingham where I asked you a question and it's always impressed me that the average couple, married couple who goes through the death of a child, it devastates their marriage. In fact, the statistics are overwhelming that most marriages don't survive. And I remember driving around Birmingham, sitting in the vehicle with you, asking you, Billy, how did you and Kelly make it through this? And how did your marriage survive? So can you describe that for us? Well, the the first answer is the grace of God, because um, we're no different than anybody else. We're not special. We're just the average person from Birmingham that likes to ski. And, <laughs> um, but it, it's... Um, we hung on to each other, encouraged each other, but also I can say we, we prepared for it without knowing we prepared for it. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, Jesus says, I wrote down the reference. I wouldn't forget it. But in John 16, 33, Jesus says in this world, you will have Mm -hmm. trouble, tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So if Jesus says, we're going to have trouble, don't you think we ought to prepare for trouble? Well, how do you do that? And, um, and it's um, in Matthew 7, 24 through 27. If you ever grew up going to vacation Bible school, you learn this in a little children's song. And mm-hmm. I'll spare you from some singing <laughs> the song. But it says... Um, I'm the wise man who keeps my commandments and obeys my word is like the man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms come, the storms beat against the house and blew, but it stood firm. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that we're the best Christians in the world, but we were heading in that direction. We were reading our Bibles, trying to do what God tells us to do, raise our kids in a godly home. So when our storm of life came, we were able to stand firm. Now, it was a storm. It was hard. It wasn't Mm -hmm. easy, but we were able to stand firm. And you know the second part of that verse, the man who builds his house on the sand. When the storms come, the house gets blown away. So what's the sand? The sand is building it on money or relationships or things and temporary things of this world just do not do not satisfy 
And so I, I would say that's, that's a, a way we're prepared without even knowing it. But another part of that, and, and I'll start with, um, you know, after, after the crowds go and nobody comes around and you've had your funeral and nobody knows what to say and including my own family, mm-hmm. but, and I just tried to be busy. And, and so I was, I was out <laughs> bush hogging some grounds and some family land on a tractor. And I was just in tears. I mean, <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> it's like I couldn't even breathe for mourning my son. And my dad shows up and my dad didn't know what to say either, but he gave me a little dog tag. Um, this company is called Shields of Strength. They're on the internet. And, but the dog tag was Joshua one nine. I'll be strong and courageous. I'll not be terrified or discouraged for the Lord. My God is with me wherever I go. And he just gave me that tag and, and left. (laughs) I think he was upset and didn't know what to say, but when I'm sitting there on my tractor in tears and all I could do is just read that verse, um, just read that verse over and over. And then, I'm able to get by the next 10 minutes and then the next 30 minutes. And, and, but Kelly and I did that to each other. Um, she would write verses for me on note cards and, and we would um, just, when we're down, the only thing that comforts is God's words. Cause there's nobody can say the right thing. Nobody knows what to say. I've been through it and I don't know what to say, mm-hmm. <laughs> but just, we would, look at, we would dig in the God's word and write down promises of the Lord and just read them. And that's the only comfort that helped us. But Kelly and I did that together. Yeah. Um, two years into it, my dad gave me a book called Spiritual Depression by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm-hmm. You know, after you go through this, Everybody wants to give you a book. And you're like, that's the last thing I want to do is read some Christian book. And I threw them all away. But I've given this book to so many people that have lost children since then. I said, don't read this for two years. After two years, pick this up and read it. And um, the it's not mental depression. It's spiritual mm-hmm. depression. And if spiritual depression is not so common, why is three fourths of the Bible written by people crying out to God? So this book really taught me how to take a big step back and, and look at um, the subtle tricks of Satan. And we found that we could, we were at a crossroads. We could go down the depression road or we could choose to believe what God said. And so a lot of times Kelly's my rock and I tried to encourage her, but she was tougher than I am, I think. And so like reading that book, it's like um, Martin Lloyd Jones teaches you to speak to yourself, speak God's truth to yourself. So I'd be down and she'd say, speak the truth to yourself. Um, And, and um, that, that really helped more than anything and um, just encouraging each other. And we did the same to our kids too. Yeah. 
a couple of things that you just said, I really, really um, hung hung on to. Of course, I get in, uh, the chance to see a lot of people go through grief, and oftentimes friends or family, they really want to comfort you, so they'll try to come up with something to say. And you, you just said it, Billy, that anything that you say really does fall short. So don't feel like you have to say anything. Just being there is saying enough. But if you're trying to come up with the magic words to say to make it all feel better, those words don't exist. So just don't feel the pressure of trying to say something. And I really, really hope that everybody heard what you just said when you mentioned that you and Kelly, as a husband and wife, you went through this together. And maybe that's one of the reasons why you two have this marriage today after losing a child that a lot of couples, even very, couples with very strong faith, they just don't have anymore because they didn't go through it together. We've been married 40 years this August. Yeah. Tell my wife, seems like 40 years, but. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it's 40 years of marriage, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, you've already alluded to, you have two other children, Andy and Riley, and I'd like for you to describe for just a moment how, Weeks or months later, how did losing a brother affect them? Yeah, we we all have different personalities. Everybody grieves differently. Um, I, I'll regress one to talk about the difference, Kelly now, and then go back to the kids. But um, Kelly camped in Psalms, and that was that was her comfort. I figured who suffered more in the Bible than Job? Mm -hmm. I read Job. And um, the thing that really struck me is God never told Job why he let this happen. So we never really looked for why God did you let this happen? God never told Job he's not going to tell us. And the interesting thing is when Job finally asked God, what's the deal? And God answered him with, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, you're just a little speck on the planet and you don't see the big picture. And, and of course we know from reading that book that Satan is in front of the Lord accusing the saints day and night. And the Lord says, have you considered my servant Job? And he, Satan was allowed to touch Job's life in that way. And so it is not saying we're on the same page with Job, but it's like, wow, I wonder if that happened to us. I wonder if Lord said, have you considered us? And that, that's quite an honor when you think about that. But, uh, you know, that's just pure speculation on my part. But um, the kids, um, like I said before, Andy camped on our um, bedroom floor for at least two years. Mm. He didn't want to go back in his room. Um, Riley was finishing high school. Um, Riley, we were a little worried about Riley because she held everything in. And um, we actually sought to get some little counseling for Riley because she wouldn't really talk about it too much. She loved her brother dearly. They were very close. And, um, and she was mourning the loss of that friendship. And I said, well, Andy would like to be your friend too in that same way. And they developed real closeness later. But, um, Andy, first thing we did 
is we go ride dirt bikes in the winter like we did with Billy. It's 24 degrees. Andy said, let's go. And I'm like, it's cold. That's right. <laughs> so, no, okay, we're going to go ride in 24-degree weather, freezing. But, you know, we just we did everything together. And Andy, even little Andy, knew to encourage mm-hmm. me. And I would do the same to him. We would get down and I'd say, we're going to see him again. He's not lost. Right. We're going to see him again and remind each other of that. And, um, but, um, Kelly told me something just a few days ago that I didn't hear. And when it's time to go back to school, Andy, little 11 year old Andy would go to the office, complain of a stomach ache and the office would just call Kelly and she'd just go over there and sit with him mm-hmm. and love on him. And, um, so he, he was hurting and, um, we just, just got through it. And, um, just tried to point towards yeah. the Lord and camp in the Lord's word. That's the only secret to it. Really is beautiful. For those of you who haven't uh, had a chance to know about this family, just take it from my, um, take my word for it. The, the way that this family came together after the loss instead of falling apart is just spectacular. And I, I really do think their faith, um, but their love for one another was the glue that held them together. I want you to describe for a few minutes, Billy, what it felt like after the services are over with, after the people stop coming to your door, because there's the um, immediate moment of I've got decisions to make and there's a lot of uh, visitors in my house. And then the visitors go away and the pain of not having a son is left. So describe what it was like after everyone else had moved on from Billy's loss but you guys are still feeling it. Uh, people say time heals. Well, that's a lie when you're dealing with kids, lots of a kid. Um, you're able to get by a little better, but it, it still hits you every birthday, every Christmas, every holiday. And then we start seeing other kids die and we die all over again. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy's, good friends and several of them died over the next few years for one reason or another. And it just kills you. It just kills you. But we just tried to love on the family, but, um, the best we could. And, um, it's, it's easy to stay busy, but that's, that's kind of just a band aid. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the best thing to do is just, speak the God's truth to yourself. And, but I, I always had a hard time describing how I felt. I kept saying it's, it's like fear. It, I'm fearful. I'm like, well, what are you fearful of? So I don't know. I'm just fearful and um, fearful of losing another kid. Do you fear of the future? I don't know. But um, I read, um, I just picked it up a little excerpt. I didn't see it, read the whole book on C.S. Lewis. And, um, and I, and I wrote it down so I could read it. But um, C.S. Lewis, when he lost his wife, he wrote about that in his book, A Grief Observed. And, um, and here, here's C.S. Lewis's words. He said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. The, the same fluttering of the stomach, 
the restlessness, the yawning, I keep swallowing. At times I feel like being mildly drunk or concussed. There's sort of invisible blanket between the world and me. I find it hard to take in what anyone says or perhaps hard to want to take it in. It's so uninteresting. Yet the others to be about me, I dread the moments when the house is empty. If only they would talk to someone else and not me. And I'm like, that's how I feel. And and um, I've sent that to other friends who have lost kids and they say, that's exactly how I feel. And I, I thought that's so interesting. And um, another way we deal with that, sometimes it, it is overwhelming. And it's not something you sit around and think about, oh, the date's coming, I'm going to get depressed. It just hits you when you least expect it. Some remind you he's not here. And, you know, I'm, there's no rhyme or reason to it sometimes. But um, it, it just, um, it just um, that, that fear feeling and you say, Lord, I can't handle this. I need you to handle it for me. And I've heard the example of the Holy spirit is like saying, well, thank you. I want to be needed. (laughs) And, and uh, another thing going through this initially um, in retrospect, I've never felt closer to the Lord ever Mm. like then. And at the time, I didn't really see it, but in retrospect, I felt the Lord was just right there with yeah. me for comfort. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that until I got down the road and looked back. Yeah, I want to take a moment and just camp on what you're talking about right now, Billy, because um, if people were to ask, how would you describe the feeling of this grief? I think it would be a struggle for most people. So you brought in one of the masters of the English language, literally, Um, C.S. Lewis, this professor from Oxford, and he goes through this intense grief of losing a wife, and he uses words to describe what this grief felt like. And I never really made this connection until you helped make it for me when you described that's what it felt like for me, Jeff, when, when I lost Billy, it felt like fear. And I never really made the connection between fear and grief and how those emotions can affect you in very similar ways. So if somebody's sitting out there right now and they're they're going through great grief right now, can you just describe for them what this felt like for you, kind of using your own words, like C.S. Lewis described just a moment ago in that book you just quoted, A Grief Observed? Yeah, it's almost like an anxiousness, um, a fear of, it's, it, that's the best way I can describe it. Well, it's C.S. Lewis. The best way I can put it in words, I guess. It's you're fearful, but you don't really know what of. And um, you you try to reason it out, and you can't. You know, it's just that's the only words I've found is C.S. Lewis's words to really describe that. Uh, and as you said just a moment ago, this is the way C.S. Lewis described losing a wife. This is how you describe losing a child, but this is how others around you that you've talked to who have lost somebody very close, very dear to them, they've kind of felt the same way. So it sounds like it has the same kind of emotional effect on you like intense fear does anytime you lose somebody really close. Would you say that's accurate? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Billy. Now I want to point out for those of you who can watch this. Now, many of you are listening to this and you don't have a chance to see the video, but for those of you who are watching this broadcast today, this episode, Billy is, um, videotaping himself from his son, his, his, uh, son, Billy's bedroom who passed away. That's what we're talking about today. And it's now coming up on 20 years. In fact, this January will be 20 years after your son passed. And it's obvious that this is still pretty painful for you, Billy. By the way, thank you for having the courage to show real emotion. This is one of the things that I respect about you. But now you're coming up on 20 years later, and it still hurts. It's obvious from this episode today. But what have you learned over 20 years? What can somebody learn from you who has gone through this tremendous pain for the past 20 years? Well, time doesn't heal loss of a child. But I think the two things that not going down the depression road and, and choosing, choosing not to go down that road. Um, it's a choice. I strongly believe in choosing what, what God says and believes, but I've also fallen into, um, best way to describe it, a first responder of other friends who have lost kids and I don't enjoy it, but it's tough, but I've, I've got probably six, seven people on my phone that I text all the time. Um, some of them were close friends. Some of them were random people. Um, like one guy I sold a pickup truck to a few years ago. He lives in Louisiana. And um, I had told him about my son uh, when he bought the truck and drove it home. And um, gave him one of the little brochures on Billy telling him about Christ. Um, probably a couple of years later, he, he calls me out of the blue and says his, his son was just murdered oh. in Louisiana. Man. And, um, so, you know, I just, what do you say? Just say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I will keep you in prayers. And, you know, I don't have the magic words like that, but I've, I've kept up with these people. And even this guy in Louisiana and, and some of my friends here that I have a friend here in town, this son, 28 year old son was walking off the beach, got struck by lightning and killed him. Oh no. Just, and they were, they're believers and we go over their house and cry with them. Um, a friend in Texas went to high school with his grown daughter died of a brain tumor and I'll call him. I don't have the words, but I'm, <laughs> what's interesting is I'm more emotional than they are when I'm talking to them. And these people have said, you don't know later on. They said, you don't know what that phone call did to me. That's, a, that's the most comforting thing I've ever had. And I didn't have any words. I was just crying with them, just loving on them. And um, so I've, I've kind of fallen into that niche of trying to encourage these people that I keep up with them. And I'll send them a Bible verse, a promise. I said, praying for you. Usually when I find myself getting down over just randomly, no rhyme or reason to it, 
I'll text all these friends and I'll say, Hey, I'm praying for you. We're going to see him again. And just probably nine times out of 10, they'll communicate with me later and say, how do you know the exact time to encourage me? It's I needed that so bad right then. And that's not me. That's of the Holy spirit. But I also feel like maybe Satan has this calendar that he hits everybody at once. Cause it seems that way that um, my friends are going through the same thing at the same time. And I think men are terrible about encouraging other men. And, um, but I learned the the value of that and get an occasional note or phone call and just say, Hey man, I'm thinking about you. And so I'm, I've fallen into that niche and it does two things. It, it also takes my focus off of me. And it gets me out of just trying to head down the depression road again by helping other people. And that is wonderful. That is so valuable to figure that out. Yeah. Everyone, Billy, is looking for a silver lining for a dark cloud. And losing a child is as dark of a cloud as any human being will ever experience. So I I, want to be careful and not imply that there is some silver lining to this cloud, but you have been able to speak to people and to come alongside them and to encourage and support them in ways that maybe nobody else could ever do it when they lost a child because you've already been through it. In other words, when people were at their lowest point and really needed somebody because you've already gone through what they are now going through, you were able to come alongside them and really encourage and support them when they needed somebody the most. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Billy, uh, I, again, I want to just stress the, one of the reasons why I'm talking with you today is not because of the loss that you've gone through, because there have been other parents that have gone through what you've gone through, but the way that your family held it together, the way that your family held on to each other, the way that your family didn't let the, this loss, um, destroy you personally or as a family, it just inspires me. I've said this to you before. I I continue to be inspired by you. And I want to give you the chance to just leave a word or two to somebody who is struggling right now with loss. Um, Maybe the loss of somebody very, very close to them. Could you just make a, 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 give them a word or two of, uh, you know, from somebody who knows what this feels like? Well, I, I keep giving examples in the Bible and there's a, there's a, there's a, um, when Jesus was gathering his disciples, there was a bunch of people following him and Jesus said, it's going to be hard to follow me. My paraphrase, of course, and everyone left except the 12. And Jesus said, what are you still doing here? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And that's how we feel. Where else are we going to go? And nothing else satisfies. Nothing else brings you peace. Now, I'm also coming from a a Christian worldview. And I know there's other people that have lost children that are not Christians. And it's not too late to find peace in the Lord. Not too late to start building your life house on the solid rock of Christ. And you just start with prayer. 
just a, a simple prayer like, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Help me to be the kind of person you want me to be and help me get through this tough time in Jesus' name and start building your solid house on the solid rock of Christ because we've had more storms. This is the worst storm, but we've had other storms, and um, that's the only way to stand firm. Yeah, thank you, Billy, for just being honest and vulnerable during this episode. And also, thank you for helping people figure out how to place their feet on the solid rock before the storms of life become overwhelming for them. I am so proud to know you and to call you a friend, and thank you for appearing on the Unbeatable Podcast. Hey, thanks again for joining us today, Billy. And thank you for joining us at home or in the car. I want to remind you that you can find this podcast on social media everywhere. Just search at Unbeatable Podcasts. And also don't forget that you can join the Unbeatable Army by going to unbeatablearmy.com and joining our email list. Hey, I want to point out something that you heard Billy say just a moment ago. When life knocks you down, when you really want to stay down because you've just had the fight knocked out of you, it's a conscious choice to get up dust yourself off, and be unbeatable. Thanks for joining me for this episode. See you next time.